A good year of Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. Today's Erev Shabbos Trush is sponsored by Chaya Felcher on the yard side of her husband, David Ben Nochem. His Neshomish Nevan Aliyah, Amen, from all the Torah that we learned. We hope many people will listen to this class and be inspired to do something. So in this week's Parsha, we are shown the mitzvah, taught the mitzvah, of keeping Shemitah, working the land for six years, letting the land stay fallow in the seventh year, which we had last year, such a Shemitah year. Let me share with you, now of course, we don't keep Shemitah in Chutzlaretz. We did support, our shul supported a, a, a vineyard in Eretz Yisrael last year, but for us, where is the practical relevance of Shemitah? So let me share with you a medrash, medrash in Vayikra Rabbah, on the Pasuk of Tehillim, Baruchu es Hashem Malachov. Hashem, uh, you know, bless the angels. Giborei Koach, those of great strength. Ose Devaro, they do his words, Lishmoa Bekol Devaro, to listen to the voice of his words. A medrash says like this, this is referring, who are these great angels? Who are the ones of great strength? Who do what Hashem and listen to him? It is called the Shomrei Shviz, those who keep Shemitah, the Pusik's talking about. The way of the world is a person does a mitzvah for one day, maybe for a week, maybe for a one month, maybe for a year. But this guy, not just does the mitzvah, he sees that his field withers away, his vineyard withers away, and he still has to pay taxes, and he's quiet. Is there a greater gibor than that? To be able to withstand all those challenges. And asks the altar from Slobodka, he says, wait a minute, there's a pasuk that says about the Jewish people, obviously, it says that they said, Nasevenishma. They said, we will do and we will listen as we will celebrate two weeks from tonight. And a baskal, a voice of heaven came out and said, who revealed this secret to my children? The very secret that the ministering angels use. And therefore they crowned each Jew with two crowns, one for Nase and one for Nishma. So that the Jews really did something very difficult to say we will do before we even hear. That's something only a Malach could do. Okay, we understand. Well, that's Malachim, so to speak. We're operating like Malachim. But here, simple farmers, ignoramuses, they're going to reach a level of being called a Malach too in this Medrash? This is the question that the altar from Slabotka asked, and he answered, beautiful idea. After the giving of the Torah and the Jewish people introduced the concept in our conscious reality that we can be like angels, at that point, any Jew can reach that level of being an angel. And it's Therefore, Jews spent 49 days preparing to be malachim. That was a big job. And they, they rose to the, the occasion. 
And they said, Nasev and Ishvat. You know what that means? Accepting everything in Torah without even knowing in advance. But once they did that, and that created the, the Jewish people, that was like our mass conversion, and that put into our DNA that even the simplest farmer can do the same thing. And Rav Borach Bear Leibowitz, in discussing this price, this medrash at all, uh, as well, he says that by Matan um, Torah it says, "Kol Hashem ba'koach," the voice of Hashem with strength. The question is, why doesn't it say "bekocho," the voice of Hashem with His strength? It says "bekoach," meaning that every Jew strengthened his own strength to be able to tolerate what Hashem would require for them and to speak to them. But then the question is, wait a minute, we know the Medrash says that when Hashem started to say the Aseris Adivros, the Jewish people's soul went out. So what does it mean that they had the strength to listen? He says again, the idea is, that's what it was in the beginning. In the beginning, to become a new person, they had to have a new neshama. And when Hashem first gave them the Ten Commandments, they died. But now, when they were reborn, they now had what we would call, as he says in Yiddish, a Torah neshama, a Torah soul. And that's the Torah soul of Matan Torah. And with such a soul, it is very easy for a Jew to give up his life to Hashem. That's the idea, that once they were used, they had that new soul, they had the power to take that on. But still, Shom Shvadran asks the following question. So, okay, you're telling me that there's Mesiris Nefesh in celebrating and, and living through a Shemitah year. And he asks the obvious question, what is the great Mesiris Nefesh? What test did they have? Because when the Jewish people said, and if Torah says, and if you'll ask, what will we eat in the seventh year? The Torah says, I will command my blessing in the sixth year and you'll have a triple crop. So I don't understand. On the one hand, we're told, in the sixth year, not after Shemitah, but in the sixth year, you'll get a triple crop. And now the, the Medrash extols the virtues of the Jews. They're like Malachim. They can tolerate this, this uh, situation for a whole year. What do you mean? You got the triple crop in advance. So what's going on over here? And Rav Shalom explains with a beautiful, true story. In the days of the Ramban, 13th century, there was a particular Jew who was a vile Russia, complete Russia, disgusting behaviors. And he himself knew that for him, tshuva would be very, very hard for it to be accepted by Hashem. So one time, he visits the great Makubal, the great Kabbalist, Rabbi Moshe de Leon, who is famous for unearthing the Zohar after so many years. And jokingly, he said, of Moshe de Leon, is there possibility for me to do tshuva for, for the damage I've done? I'm so far gone, I can't do any tshuva. 
And Rav Moshe de Leon said, you're right, there's no tshuva for you unless you accept upon yourself to die as an atonement for your sins. Well, that shocked that Jew. So that Russia asked, and if I accept upon myself death, will I have a portion in Ganeden? And Rav Moshe said yes. So now this Russia got very serious. He said, swear to me that uh, that you will be in my place where I will be in Ganeden. I want to be close to you in Ganeden. And Rav Moshe de Leon says, I swear to you that if you die for to atone for your sins, it means we'll have to kill you. You will be very close to me in Ganeden. So he says, okay, I accept it. Okay, come with me to the base medrash. And the rabbi explained that the death you will have is with shreifa, is with burning. And we know, according to the Judaism, the capital punishment of burning is not the way the Christians do burning a person at, the, at a pyre, on the cross, but rather anyone who has to die from the punishment of burning, you take molten lead and pour it down his throat. And that's how you get that atonement for that death. So they come into the base medrash where Moshe de Leon is boiling up the lead and it smells terrible. And he's using the, a thing to make the, fan, the fire bigger and bigger. Okay, he takes the Russia, he lies him down on a bench. And to make sure that he won't be scared, he uh, blindfolds the fellow. And he says, Say Vidui now, and all your sins to Hashem. Accept the yoke of heaven with a complete heart and then say the Shema Yisrael. And then accept upon yourself that this death shall um, be exchanged for all your sins that you've angered God all your life. And now this, this Russia, he starts crying bitterly and there's a bunch of rabbis over there. They're all gathered to see this person voluntarily dying out Kiddush Hashem. Then Rav Moshe Dilian says, open your mouth wide and I will pour the molten lead through your throat. And the man opens his, his mouth and, he, he, he's, and the rabbi's holding his mouth open. And now he's taking a little, small little uh, shovel, so to speak. And he pours down his mouth a warm rose-petaled jam. And he said to him, and all your sins have been atoned for. When the guy first felt that, that warm thing, but it was sweet. And the man is screaming, no, in the honor of Hashem, kill me like you said. Why should I live after I've done all these sins? Use the real molten lead. And the Rav said, don't be afraid at all. Because Hashem now has found favor in your actions.
end of the story, unblindfolded, all at the end of the day had to do was just take the little rose jam. From that moment, he became a complete Balchuva. He never left the base medrash of Rav Moshe de Leon. And years later, when Rav Moshe de Leon was called up to heaven to leave this world, and the Russia, who now is a Balchuva, he knew the Rebbe's going to die soon. He davened that he should also die together with the rabbi. And Hashem answered it to Elos. And before he died, he said, make room from Rav Moshe de Leon, who is coming to fulfill his oath to take me to Gan Eden. And so after they both died, great Chachamim, great mystics, were shown in a dream that Rav Moshe de Leon and the other Jew were studying and learning Torah up in Gan Eden. That's the end of the story. But the truth of the matter is, the story is not only to teach about that person, but it's to teach all of us. Many of us are in the situation of that Russia, obviously not as bad as that Russia, but on whatever level, as wonderful people we are, we all know deep in our hearts there's certain things we should not be doing. And we've done them so many times, we're so used to doing them. And we are certain we cannot change and do tshuva because changing your ways is hard. It's very hard if you're used to driving to a shul. And of course the shul welcomes everyone, we don't ask questions. But if you're used to driving, and sometimes you're used to driving only one or two blocks to the shul. And it's very hard to change that pattern. If you're used to talking in a shul, and now you've come to the Westmount Shul, where we don't talk, it might be hard. If you're used to always speaking Lashon Hara, if you're used to not getting up early for davening, there are certain behaviors, maybe in many ways we're very wonderful people, but the Yetzirah has the one area where we are not as good as we should be and we need to make changes. But you know what? We feel making that change would be as difficult as pouring molten lead down my throat. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm so used to certain other behaviors within my Judaic life. Certain things I don't do. I don't give that much tzedakah because I want to make sure I have enough to live the rest of my life. Whatever it is, we all have the challenge. I spoke to somebody about the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKain that we did in shul last Sunday night. Amazing thing. I spoke versus, I don't know if I could do that. It seems too cruel. People think that changing their Yiddishkeit is like molten lead. But the truth is it's not. It's a warm rosehip jelly. That's what it is. And that is what Roshon Shvadron says to answer this question. I don't understand why are they called Gibore Koach? Why are the Shemitah farmers called? Called angels. Their mom is Moshe What are you talking? They're getting the triple crop. 
And the answer is you have to understand where was the Gibore Koach? Where was that strength showed? The Torah says, if you will ask, how will we survive in the seventh year? When were they asking that question? They weren't asking in the seventh year, obviously, because they already decided what to do in the sixth year. And if God gave them a triple crop in the sixth year, they're surely not asking in the seventh year. So what really happened? Well, let's think about it for a minute. If you would hear about this mitzvah shemitah, and you would hear that six years from now, you have to stop working and let the land lay fallow, and you're told just trust in Hashem, and Hashem will take care of everything. What might a person, what might an Orthodox Jew do? He says, well, I don't know. If I have to keep this mitzvah, I better start saving up. And now, not enjoying my first six years because I have to eat less to save up. And really not enjoying the whole six years. So then Hashem says, no, 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 don't worry. I'm going to give you a triple crop in the sixth year. Now, but you may say, well, you might. But then again, maybe you won't. So what does the Jew do? He saves up, he saves up, he saves up. And his life is a little bit inconvenienced, but there's no need for mesiras nefesh because you've got stuff in reserves. In that very first year, people have to make a decision. Hashem promises you not to worry. Hashem promises you, you'll get a triple crop. Why in the world would you save up? Unless what? You don't believe it. So where does the great Messiris Nefesh have to happen? The great Messiris Nefesh is in year one, in year two, in year three, where what are you doing? You're not saving. And it thinks it's going to be so hard. You think, boy, that molten lead is coming. And I'm going to be, it's going to be impossible. I haven't saved, I've listened to Hashem. And probably in year six, it's going to only be one crop because I don't think I'm such a great Jew to deserve a triple crop. And now it looks like you're going to have to suffer molten lead in year seven. And then what happens comes the rose hip jelly. And the triple crop comes. And now it's easy to keep Shemitah. This is the message of Shemitah. That yes, you have to be prepared to swallow the lead. You have to put yourself, I'm willing to do it. And that's the hardest part. For that Russia, what was the hardest part in his life was to decide that I'll accept the molten lead to go down my throat. At the end of the day, it usually doesn't happen that way. Hashem doesn't want us to die. He says, if you're going to do it, if you're already committed, then why should it hurt? God wants how much skin you have in the game. And that's the issue with so many mitzvahs. Mitzvahs that we seal are just, it's going to kill me. It's going to kill me not to do this. It's going to kill me. It's going to kill me. If I don't work on Cholamoid, it's going to kill me if I don't bring my cell phone into the shul. I'm going to die because I could miss the most important call of my life or I'm just so bored I come two minutes early. What am I going to do? It's so sad when I'm in shul 
And we try very hard that people should not bring a cell phone into shul and people still, they sneak it in their pocket. They don't think I'm looking. I mean, I'm not the police over here. But then during Kaddish, when it's time to say, a very fine Jew is looking at his cell phone. Why? Because we feel we're going to die. But you know what you see from Shemitah? Hashem wants you to prepare to die. And once you prepare to die, you don't need to die. Hashem will make it easy. How could I walk to shul two blocks? How could I? You know what? You're right. You think you're killing yourself. But once you get out and start walking, it's okay. Let me give you an example. I don't remember the exact year. I think it was 2005, maybe 2004. I can stand to be corrected. We did a number of missions to Eretz Yisrael. And... Uh, we developed a very friendly relationship with Rav Avinoam Horowitz in Hebron. And we are great. Ohevei Tzion. Our shul loves Tzion. And we would visit Hebron every time we went. And often we would sleep over for Shabbos in Hebron. And this particular year there was a terrible, it was a lot of the... Um, what do you call it? Terrorist attacks, people blowing themselves up. And we're supposed to leave about a week before the trip. The beginning of the week, a terrorist went in and Nebuch blew up two beautiful young Jews who were in Hebron. Now, this was already during, like, sort of intifada, and it was supposed to be a men's mission. And at that point, I'm going to understand the wives are a bit concerned. Going to Israel is scary enough. You want to go to Hebron too? So Rav Avinom calls me up the day after the terrorist attack at Hebron. And in his, he was very sad. He said, Rav Yosef, I know you're planning on coming to Hebron. I totally understand. If you cancel this part, I will totally understand. I said, Rabbi Vinoam, we're your brothers. And brothers don't abandon their brothers in time of need. Yes, the shul gave money to the yeshiva to help with putting up bulletproof windows, etc. But I said, this is something that money cannot buy, and that's called real support, not just good wishes from abroad. And I said, we will be there. Mir Shem, we will be there. And so it was. I, I spoke to the women who were sending their husbands. I said, listen, you don't have to go to Hebron for Shabbos. I'm going. Whoever wants to go can go. Whoever wants to stay in Yerushalayim, you can stay in Yerushalayim. And Baruch Hashem, everybody went to Hebron. And let me tell you something. Very hard to understand. I have to say, we, we did this many times. We went earlier, I think in 2001, 2002, also in this intifada. And there's all this hype of how scary it is, how dangerous it is. You know, it's all a bunch of baloney. The two safest places in the world are Yerushalayim and Hebron. <laughs> the only danger is getting there. But once you're there, it's very safe. There's a lot of police all over the place. 
I want to tell you, I'm a human being too, and you, you get a little nervous. And you know when you're nervous? You're nervous in Toronto. You're nervous in Chutzlars because you're hearing how terrible it is. And I'm not minimizing the danger. We're having that now as well. And Eretz Yisrael, Hashem should protect them all. But I want to tell you my feeling. When we landed in Tel Aviv, I can't explain it. As soon as it touched down, I felt like a yoke was taken off my shoulder and I became fearless. We come to Hebron for Shabbos and we're spending the Shabbos there. Nobody's afraid. You know why? Because instead of molten lead going down our throats, it's the rose hip jam. And then Rabbi Yom says, Motzei Shabbos, this is Mamish, Mamish one week after they got blown up. Of course, in Hebron Eretzol, they make memorials. And they stood up a little table over there with Sidurim and Tehillim. And they made a little memorial in Askara, Motzei Shabbos in the dark. And if you're familiar with Hebron, it was, it was part of the building facing the hills that surrounding. And when you face the hills, you could see in the background lights of Arabs in the hills, and often they'd be shooting. And we were there, all of us were there saying to Lee, making a few speeches, with all the while the brave Sahal young soldiers have their rifles cocked towards the hills in case something will happen. Nobody felt afraid. We all said to Elim, and we gave support that money cannot buy. Because when you're ready to make the Messiris Nefesh, it's not when you're doing it. It's before. Making that decision. Being the farmer and saying six years from now, I'm not preparing at all. I have total faith in Hashem. And then what happens in the sixth year, boom, it became so easy. So many times I hear people who are debating, should they do a mitzvah or not? Should they start taking on another mitzvah or whatever? It's so hard, but as soon as you do it, you realize it's not that hard. You can do it. And you wonder why was I so ashamed and afraid to not do it beforehand? Coming up to the holiday of Shavuos, where the Jews gave their oath of allegiance of Nasev and Ishma. We're preparing for that day two weeks, two weeks from today, where we all will go and declare our allegiance to Hashem. Some of us will be able to stay up all night and study Torah. We will all be hearing Nasev and Ishma. And we should be echoing those words. But allegiance means I'm prepared. I'm prepared for the molten lead to go down the throat. And Hashem will say, you'll think you're going to get molten lead, but it's really going to be rose hip jam. It'll be so sweet. Once you decide to do it, it will be sweet. And let me end with one last thing that I'm going to be speaking about in the Sphiros class. It's brought the words of the Tashpatz Katan, writes in the name of the Marami Rutenberg, who was uh, jailed at the end of his life and died in jail. He says the following words. He says, when a person decides in his mind to sanctify God's name and give his life over for Kiddush Hashem, whatever they're going to do for me, Stone me, burn me, bury me alive. Hang me. 
He said, at that moment when it happens, the person feels no pain. And he says, you should know that there isn't a person in the world, if you even just, you know, bump your foot, stub your toe against the bed, or you get a little burn on the stove, you scream, even though you know. You shouldn't do it. It doesn't stop anything. It just, you just scream. Those very same people, when they're giving up their lives for Hashem to be killed, they don't scream, Lo oi and lo va oi. And that's what, the, that's what people say. That when you say the name of Hashem before you are burnt alive, yud hey vav hey, you're guaranteed that it will not hurt. There's all kinds of Kabbalistic reasons behind it, but it's basically saying because when you connect to the source of all reality, which is Hashem, yes, your body may be burnt, but you will feel no pain. I would like to add a machshava to add one more point. If this is true, when fire, you're burning in fire and you're not screaming, if you understand why and what you're doing. I know there's stories of people in the camps and, and they were screaming. These were people who didn't realize what was going on. They weren't realizing like the Russia that I'm doing this all as a kapara. But there are those who did not scream. And if we, if this is true, when you really are suffering physical pain, is this all the more so? Not when you're dying for Kiddush Hashem, but living out Kiddush Hashem. It shouldn't hurt either. If people, I am sure that when my grandparents were burnt out Kiddush Hashem, they did not scream because they were holy people connected to Hashem. And now when we're put up with a challenge two weeks before Shavuos, how about take on a mitzvah? Not as hard as Shemitah, but something that is hard for you. And you say, oh, that's impossible. It's going to be led down my throat. Realize if you really are committed, you will feel no pain. Hashem should help us on this very special Shabbos. On this Shabbos, when we finish, and it talks about all the great sufferings of the Jewish people if we don't listen to Hashem. But then Hashem says, I will remember you. And you really have a choice. Do you want to die out Kiddush Hashem or live out Kiddush Hashem? One way or the other, it's going to happen. I choose to live out Kiddush Hashem. And if Hashem wants me to die out Kiddush Hashem, I'll take it gladly. But why should I wait so long? And I may not get that opportunity. Well, I can live out Kiddush Hashem. And everyone find that molten lead that, that in our minds is going to kill us. Try it. As it used to be an old commercial, try it, you'll like it. And the end of the commercial says, I tried it, thought I was going to die. But in Yiddishkeit, that's not true. You try it, I guarantee you, try any mitzvah. You'll see how sweet your life will be. How sweet your Shabbos will be. I wish us all a beautiful Shabbos of rose hip jelly. And to be out of the world of the molten lead. And to have that kind of simcha in our lives. To bring in the holiday of Shavuos, they'll be coming very soon. Amen. Thank you all for listening.